great dates. Um, but yesterday, it was a beautiful fall day, and um, my family wanted to get out and see the leaves and all that kind of stuff, probably like, probably like you as well. And uh, typically we'd go for a hike, but we just didn't do that yesterday. Um, we drove out to, uh, into Pennsylvania and saw the memorial there for Flight 93. Anybody been there? The memorial there in Pennsylvania for Flight 93? I tell you what, it was moving. I think a date that, uh, that all of us probably, a significant date to us is September 11. And let's remind you what happened that day. And uh, it's really, you know, it's heavy on my heart this morning just because what I saw yesterday. But September 11, 2001, remember where you were that morning? About 8.46, flight number 11 flew into the World Trade Center. Just four minutes before that, flight 93 took off from Newark, New Jersey heading to California. There's 40 people on board, including the the crew and the pilots and so forth. Takes off before the first plane hit the World Trade Center, but shortly after they take off, just through cell phones and those kind of things, it's evident to the the passengers on the plane that, that something is wrong. You know that, I think it was 18 minutes after the first plane hit the World Trade Center, a second plane hit... And so the passengers now on Flight 93, just a few of them, they are aware that our country is under attack. And they make a decision. The the terrorists take over the flight at 928. The terrorists now, four of them on board, all sitting in the first class section of the the plane. We don't know exactly what happened, but we have a lot of the flight recordings. And and even, it's amazing, they take the the recordings of the the phone calls that were made, and they can piece together some of the things that happened. At 9.28, the terrorists take over the plane. Rushed the cockpit, we believe. They had some knives and so forth. They they apparently had injured some people. And and now for about 30 minutes, the passengers and the crew, those that are still living, are, are forced to the back of the plane. And there's phone calls, and you can listen to these calls there at the memorial. You can hear the heart as, as mothers call their children, leave a message and say, yeah, I might not ever see you again, but I love you. And the, 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 the passengers that day, they know they've got to do something and so they, they come up with a plan to rush the cockpit. They don't know this as far as we know. They don't know that the terrorist intended to fly that plane into the Capitol building where the House was meeting that day. Can you imagine what would have happened? Can you imagine if they would have crashed into the Capitol when they hit the World Trade Center twice, hit the Pentagon, thousands of people die. Can you imagine if they had hit their target and, and hit the Capitol building? Now the passengers don't know that, but they know that our country is under attack, and so they make a decision to take over the plane. And so at 9.57 that happens. They break through the doors somehow and, and they are stopping the terrorists. And the terrorists, we, can, we have them recorded. Of course, they're speaking in Arabic, but they say, yes, put it in and pull it down. And they say, Allah is great. And at 10.02, the plane crashes into that field and everybody on board is killed. In the weeks and months and years that followed, People talked about that. People remembered the sacrifice that was made. Listen to, the, listen to the words of the former president, Bill Clinton. 
There on the dedication memorial, he said this to the family members. Striking. He says, your loved ones just happened to be on a plane. With almost no time to decide, they gave the entire country an incalculable gift. They saved the capital from attack. They saved God knows how many lives. They saved the terrorists from claiming the symbolic victory of smashing the center of the American government. And they did it as citizens. They allowed us to survive as a country that could fight terror and still maintain liberty and still welcome people from all over the world, from every religion, every race, every culture, as long as they shared our values. Because ordinary people, given no time at all, decided to do the right thing. As I was walking around there yesterday, and I was, just, I was really taken back, I felt myself move to tears on many occasions, had to gather my composure so that I didn't break into tears there with my family. And I, I was just taken back by these people on this plane who, I mean, on that day, they were willing to die they were willing to die, to put their life on the line. To kn- they knew they were going to die for the life of others. And I tell you, my mind went to Jesus Christ. Christ gave his life for us. He calls us. He calls, our, calls us as believers in him. As citizens of heaven. To give our life. For other people. Why were those on that plane, as Bill Clinton said, they had very little time to decide to do the right thing, but they did. And now we, as citizens of heaven, we've got every day to decide to live for Christ. I know that very few of us will probably be called upon to make what we call the ultimate sacrifice. I realize that. That's probably not going to happen to anyone in this room. But can I just challenge you with this idea? That every day we are called to really live out the ultimate sacrifice and put aside ourselves, not in a, in a moment of adrenaline where you rush, the, the ca- rush through the door and, and take over the cabin and, and save the day. No, that's not how it works. It's an everyday decision. Everyday decision. To put the interest of others before ourselves. In humility to count others more significant than us. You and I know this runs completely contrary to our nature. You know that. And so it can be a little overwhelming to think about putting the interest of others before me. It can be a little overwhelming to hear what Philippians 2 calls us to. It can be actually very overwhelming. When we read Philippians chapter 2 in just a minute, if you are not overwhelmed with what God is calling us to, you're not hearing. You're not hearing. Go with me to Philippians chapter 2 and let's read what arguably is the, one of the most important passages in all of our Bible. I mean, this is a big one. Folks, this is a heavy hitter. We are now coming to a passage that, that pastors love to preach on because it shines the light on the Lord Jesus Christ in a very special way and in a very challenging way. And 
I want us to be overwhelmed by it. Let's start in in verse number 3 of chapter 2 so we can understand exactly what the Spirit of God is calling us to. We read, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. Who? Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now those first couple verses that I read today, because they're talking about us, They're talking about God's call for us as believers can feel very overwhelming. And I think the passages on Flight 93 are a good reminder to us of what it means to lay down your life for somebody else. It's it's a good place for us to look, to know what this costs in an everyday experience of life. And it can feel rather overwhelming. I want to put a verse on the screen as an encouragement to you who are in Christ of what God has promised us. Because the Lord is, is not only going to teach us great truth about Jesus. Okay, as you're reading that verse, you can think about it while I'm talking here in just a minute. We're going to see some great truth about Jesus, but it is to be a truth about us. And it can feel very overwhelming. Listen to what Peter said. His divine power, that's Jesus Christ, the Lord God Almighty, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. This is what we have in Christ. This is what we have. In Philippians chapter 2, remember where we are, okay? Look back at verse number 27 of chapter 1. It says here, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. We said this literally means be a citizen of heaven. Be a good citizen of heaven. So we are right now in the midst of a passage of scripture that is describing for us, now hear this, what it means to live on this planet as a good citizen of heaven. That's what this passage is all about. From 127 through the middle of chapter 2, we are seeing what it means to live here on this planet Sin cursed as it is, with people that sin and get on our nerves, as we live here on this planet, what does it mean to live as a good citizen of heaven? We saw the end of chapter 1, that it means that we suffer well. We suffer well. And so it says in verse 29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for his sake. And so we talked about that as we suffer, we can experience 1.6. Look at Philippians 1.6. Be sure of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So what God starts in us, he will finish. Even in the midst of suffering, folks. Even in the midst of suffering. And for Paul, this was physical suffering because he proclaimed Christ. When we talk about this can look like all kinds of different things in our life. This can look like physical suffering in our life because we're just taking a righteous stand for Jesus. It can look like physical suffering in our life because we live in a sin-cursed world. Some of us are struggling. Some of us are struggling. You struggle well. As a citizen of heaven, not of this earth, you don't belong here. You are an alien and a stranger here. You are a pilgrim here. You are just passing through here. You do not have roots. Excuse me. You do not have roots that go too deep here. We are citizens of heaven. But not only do we suffer well, okay? Chapter 2 now, just trying to help us understand, we relate well. We relate well. Verses 1 through 5 talk about now how that's this true. You have Christ. And so does everybody else who's in Jesus that you know. All the believers that you know equally have Christ. You don't have more of Jesus than somebody else. And they don't have more of Jesus than you. You know, that's the only thing on this earth. Now think about this. That's the only thing on this earth that's going to be equal. That's it. Some of us are going to get more time than others. Some of us have more money than others. Some of us have more opportunities than others. Some are going to travel more than others. Some are smarter than others. Some are faster than others. Some are better looking than others. Some are more talented than others. The only thing that's equal is Christ. That's the only thing. And that's what brings us together. See Jesus in other people. See the partnership that the Spirit has in them. And that gives them value, you see. That gives them equal value with you so you don't have the right to be annoyed with them. You don't have the right for them to get on your nerves. You don't have the right to hold something against them. You don't have the right to be bitter towards them. No. We don't have the right to think that we're better than others or or people are lesser than us. No. We're all equal in Christ. This is what Paul and really the Spirit of God has been pushing us to. What does it mean to live as a citizen of heaven? What does it mean to to be a follower of Christ here? And now what, what the Spirit of God does is he goes to the ultimate example. The ultimate example, our Savior. Our Savior. And so that it is, that's why it is, in verse number 5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. ESV actually says yours in Christ Jesus, but let me tell you, that's not in the, that's not in the original. This is a command. This is, this, is, this is something that we have to live out, to have the same mind in us that is in Christ Jesus. Now, this isn't the only place in Scripture that we're told to live as Christ did. Let me just give you a couple of verses, okay? This was my time with the Lord this morning, okay? So let me just tell you a couple of verses that, that equally challenge you. That Jesus is not only our Savior, He's not only the source of our power, He is the example of how we're to live on this planet. Listen to this. Luke 9, 23. If anyone would come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. 
Ephesians 5.2 says, Walk in love as Christ loved us. That's how we're supposed to live. As Jesus loved us. 1 Peter 2.21 Jesus suffered leaving for you an example. Wow. 1 John 2.6 Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way. You see, what we're going to see here, what we're going to walk through a little slowly in 5, 6, 7, and 8, is this is not just a, a picture of Jesus for us to learn information about. We don't come to this to satisfy some curious idea we have about Jesus. This is not to to build up a theological argument about the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ or about the kenosis theory of the incarnation, if you know what any of those words mean. This is not to fill up our minds with theological ideas. That is not what this is. We are given this truth about Jesus to reform our lives. You hear that? What we're going to be told here is not some out there idea, describing what Jesus did, and we need to worship him for it, but it's more than that. We are being given the man, Christ Jesus, as the example of what God enables and expects us to live as believers. That's heavy stuff, is it not? So the example for us is Jesus. And he's also the power that we have to live this out. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay, let's go to verse 4 and 5, first of all. I want us to see that what Jesus did was driven by love. Driven by love. Love. Verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Can I say that is a very definition of love? That's what love is. The Bible speaks of really three to four different kinds of love. Okay? You've got the natural love that a mother has for her child. You've got the romantic love that a husband and wife have for one another. You've got the friend love that you can have with somebody you have shared interest and, and just, just personalities that, that match but then you have agape love. It is sometimes called God's love or the greatest love or a self-sacrificing love. This is what it is, verse number four. It is when we look to the interest of others. It's not something that you do because you feel it. Be careful with that. You don't wake up in the morning and you're in a good mood, so you go ahead and live out verse four. Looking to the interest of others. You don't think that the person that you are with is worthy of your attention because they're a pretty good person, I like them, so I will give them that kind of love. No, that's not what this is. Look to the interest of others as Christ did. Love is to seek the best of the one loved. This is why it's unconditional. This is why it's not because I like you. This is is why it's not because we have some feeling of of affection one for another. No. This is beyond that. It is beyond affection. It is before affection. It is far greater than affection. 
It's the love that Christ had and has for you and me. And think about this. What's Romans 5.8 say? You know that verse? You should memorize that verse. Romans 5.8. Listen to it. But God demonstrated his love towards us. That's agape love. He demonstrated his love towards us in this. That he died for us while we were still sinners. Jesus was driven by love. Love for people who did not deserve it. Who could not earn it. Who were not worthy of it. Who had not demonstrated that they were worth this love. And we are to be driven by the same love. Man, that is hard-hitting. That's what I said. This should feel overwhelming, okay? This is calling us to love people who treat us wrong, who love people who are unwise and stupid, to love people who are annoying, to love people who get on your nerves, who love people who do not deserve it, who love people who continue to do you wrong, to love people who in no way, shape, or form are worthy of your love. That's how Jesus operated. Aren't you thankful for that he did that? Can you imagine if he didn't? What if Jesus only died for those who were worthy? Can you imagine that? At the very, I mean, the reality is he would die for no one. And if we found somebody, they would be so filled with pride, that's all they'd do was brag. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It is by grace you are saved, through faith, and this not of yourselves, lest any should boast. Hmm. Driven by love. Okay, going, going down the passage here. Next, I want you to see, so we're looking at now, just understand what I'm trying to see here. What is the mind of Christ? And by mind, by the way, by by mind, this is important. This is driving at what is the attitude of Jesus, okay? What is the thinking of Jesus? Some of you maybe are coming to mind 1 Corinthians 2.16. It says, we have the mind of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 2.16. You may be thinking, well, yeah, we all have the mind of Christ. We do. Different mind. That's not the same mind. This mind is our attitude. This is our thoughts. This is something that we choose to do in love. We need to see the example of Christ and live this out in our lives. What's the next one here? I want you to see that he is giving of grace. He's driven by love and he's giving of grace. Verse number six, okay? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, verse six, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, please stay with me here, okay? You need to stay with me. Because this is packed full of theological truth, but we need it because it's supposed to reform our lives, okay? So let's try to understand what Jesus is doing here. What I'm I'm couching this under right now is Jesus is giving grace. He is giving grace. He is giving grace. Driven by love, he's giving grace. Okay? What grace means is when you give somebody something they do not deserve. Something that is they do not deserve. That is what grace is. 
And I want you to see what, how Jesus did that. Okay? It says here in verse number 6, who though he was in the form of God. Now this is, this is potentially confusing. Okay? I want you to notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say who was in a form God. Do you hear the difference? A form God versus the form God. Let me, let me help you a little bit. Let me share with you how the NIV translates that phrase. The NIV says, who being in very nature God. When verse number 6 says that he was in the form of God, this is a very strong declaration of the deity of Christ. This is not, and in English we could think this a little bit, this is not saying, well, you know, he was kind of God. That's not what it's saying at all. It's the Greek word morphe, and it means at his very nature, he is all God. He's all God. His very nature, his essence was God. John 17, 5, you can write that verse down. Jesus prayed this, glorify me with the glory that I had in the beginning, Jesus praying to the Father. So from the very beginning, Jesus had all the glory of God. Philippians 2, 6 is saying that he starts out now in the very form of God. Okay? And I want you to watch now what what many commentators and, and many expositors have shown that there are nine steps that Jesus is going to take down. Okay, through these next three verses. But we start out that he is completely God, who being in the form God, watch what happens. Back to our passage. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, what does that mean? It really has two ideas in mind. Okay. The first one, I'm going to embarrass myself here a little bit, okay? Because I'm going to do something you probably should never do in front of a whole lot of people. I'm going to jump, okay? So he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. So he didn't do this. Uh, uh. He wasn't trying to jump up and reach Godhood. That's, that's one idea that this phrase means. So he wasn't, he wasn't reaching for it. Uh, I want to be God. But it also means this. He wasn't holding on to the rights that come with being the very nature God. You get that? So he didn't have to jump up and grab the ring. And when he did, he wasn't holding it so strongly that he wouldn't let go of his rights. Who being in the very form God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. He released his rights as God. He released it. And instead, we we keep going down. What he did was, he did not consider equality with God, but he released those rights, look at it here, but emptied himself. Emptied himself. Now, listen, you could read hundreds of theological papers about what that means. Okay? Let me help you understand what it means. Jesus made a very significant decision. He was God. He is God. Okay? He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. All right? But he gave by taking. 
Now, that's going to be an important phrase for me today. He gave by taking. All right? He emptied himself. He gave by taking. See what he took. Emptied himself by taking, number one, the form of servant. Now, what did I tell you that form meant earlier? He was in the form of God. What did that mean? Anybody remember? Right. The very essence, the nature. He is, he took on, he added by taking the very essence of a slave. That's what that means. He took the very essence of a servant or a slave. Do you see the downward steps that Jesus is taking? God did not consider quality with God a thing to be grasped. Emptied himself by taking the nature of a servant or slave. It goes on and explains more of what he took. He gave by taking. He was born in the likeness of men. Born in the likeness of men. So he became a human, is what that means. Born in the likeness of men. You you get the steps down. It goes beyond that, though. He humbled himself, I'm sorry, and being found in human form. So what this means is, he he became a human looking like a regular old human. He was born as a man and took upon him just a regular old guy look. If Jesus walked in this room before he laid down his life and walked around, Scripture says there'd be nothing in him that would draw you to him. You wouldn't look at his appearance and say, boy, now that is a quality guy. It's not what you do. He was just, he looked like everybody else. He looked like everybody else. He was born, he took on him these things, emptied himself by taking, okay? He gave by taking. He's now a human, appearing as just a regular old human. Being found in human likeness, he humbled himself. So now he's bringing humility upon himself. How? By becoming obedient to the point of death. See, this is what, in order for Jesus to love us, he had to be in a body that would die. Can you, can you try to fathom this? Who being in very nature God and made everything, did not consider quality of God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on himself the, the, the nature of a servant, born as a person, in human likeness, humbled himself, even able to die. Even able to die. And you need to know something today. Jesus truly died. But that wasn't the worst of it. It says here that, yeah, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, I think it's very important for us to understand why that is an even. And there is the potential here of heresy. It says, even death on a cross. Now, most of us have been in services where somebody came up front, his name might have been Lowell, and described to you the horror of crucifixion. Right? 
And, and, and myself, Pastor Billy, we have told you, worst way to die ever invented, without a doubt. But you need to know something. Within, let's say, 100 years of Jesus' crucifixion, it would be an understatement to say tens of thousands of Jewish men died on a cross. If if Jesus' death, if it's so bad, if it's even the death of a cross, if it's so bad because it was so horrific, well, he's in line with many others that, that experienced that as well. So what's the even death on a cross? Why is this step nine downward? It's because of what that cross represented. Galatians 3.13. It says, Cursed is the man who dies on a tree. You see, this death on a cross, the reason why it is so low the reason why it is the bottom of the barrel of this walk down is because Jesus, who in very nature God, took the very nature of a servant and is now dying for our very nature of sin. And when Jesus was there in the Garden of Gethsemane and He is literally sweating drops of blood, it was not because the cross was so bad. That's not what it is. If there had been some strange change of circumstances, and now we have a humane way for Jesus to die, lethal injection, electric chair, the hangman's noose, whatever, he still would have bled drops of blood. It was not because the cross was so wicked. It was because his father turned from him. Because Jesus is our propitiation. He is the propitiation for sins. That means He is our sin bearer. He is the curse receiver. He is the punished one for us. The ninth step down for Jesus is that the Father, who had always been in perfect fellowship with Jesus, looked away. And Jesus himself said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the source of the drops of blood. Death, yeah. Obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. The thing I see here, he gave grace, but he also, hit the next one for me, please. He was committed to faithfulness. Committed to faithfulness. Remember he said, Peter, put your sword away. If I wanted to, I could call legions of angels and wipe them all out. But he was committed to Jesus was committed. He would not quit. I'll go to the end. Driven by love. Giving of grace. He was committed to faithfulness. He went to the cross. He went to death, that is. Even death on a cross. Mm. 
nine steps down. Verse number nine, though, is very important for us. We got it. We got it. We got to get here. We got to get here. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, what is the mind, now hear this, what is the mind that allows us to sacrifice our rights? What is the mind that looks to the interest of others? What is the mind that has such humility that it it counts others more significant than myself? It is the same mind that Jesus had. And it is trusting in God's glory. It is trusting that I may sacrifice, I may give again, I may love again, I may forgive again, I may reach out to you again. And I trust God's going to work. I trust God's going to work. For Jesus, it meant exaltation. For you, it will too. It will. It may be long into eternity, but it will. Suffer well. Christ will exalt you. Relate well. Christ will exalt you. Look to your Savior. Have the same mind in you. Same attitude in you. Christ will exalt you. I've tried to, I tried to come up with a way to illustrate this, and, and I've got a friend, we talk about the Lord all the time, and we, we use this one time, and it really helped me. It's an old board. Now, here's what my board is. Many of you know I, I like to hike. I already referenced that once today. A great place to hike, if you're looking for a hike, and, and you can really hike a long ways and you don't get lost easily, is a place called Dolly Sods. Okay? You ever been there? Anybody? A few of us. All through Dolly Sods, the ground is as wet as can be. It's like you're walking through a bog. Okay? It's beautiful. It looks like Lord of the Rings. I mean, it's just gorgeous. And in many places, if you step on the ground, and your foot starts to sink, and before you know it, you're soaking wet. You pack nine pairs of socks for a trip, Right? Because it's a, it's a rough road, man. It is so wet. But along the way, there's these boards. And the cool part is, somebody has thankfully thought far in advance and said, hey, we're going to help you out. We're going to give you a board. And so it's sometimes you get to a board and you, you, know, you walk across the board. I'm not going to step on a board because I'm afraid it will break. But you walk across the board and you're, you, get, you get through the, the obstacle. You, you get over the water. What I want to challenge you on is just, first of all, see Jesus as this board. See him as this board. What did he do? He came to earth. He became a man. He took nine steps down, okay? He humbled himself. He took the role of a slave. He took the role of a servant. Why? So we can walk across him. We can walk across him into glory with with God. Now you have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, have that mind in you. So now what's that mean? That means you 
get to be what? The board. You be the board. You be the board. What's that mean? In humility, I offer my life. I have no selfish ambition. I have no vainglory. I have your interest in mind. Other people's interests are greater. So you know what? I lay down and I'm the board. And you walk on over. Walk on over. I've got my eyes on the prize, Lord Jesus Christ. My eyes are on Jesus. You can step across me all you want to. Because I'm his. And I'm doing just like him. I'm being the board. Here's the funny thing. You know... I've stepped on a lot of boards, walked right over them. And until right now, until right now, I don't give them a thought. Do you ever walk across that board when you're walking past the bog at Dolly Saws, and do you think, as you step off of that board, boy, that's a great board. Did you see how shiny it is? You see, I didn't have any knots in it. I'm, that board was great. I'm so thankful for that board. That's a good board. Good board. Good for you, board. No. No. You don't think about it at all, do you? You just drive on forward and the board doesn't mind. You know why? Because the board's goal is for you to get to him. The Lord Jesus Christ. Don't be surprised when people treat you like a slave. Don't be surprised when... It's hard to be humble. Don't be surprised when your vain glory wants to rise up. Don't be surprised when you try to do things for yourself with ambition, but you put that stuff aside and be the board. Just like Jesus. I will say this too. Some of us have boards in our life, and you need to go thank them. It'd be good for you to go thank the, some of those boards. But don't expect it in your own life. Christ will enable you to keep going. Look to him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, let this mind be us that was in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Empty himself. He took the very nature of a servant, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Thank you, Lord, for your heart, your attitude, your thought, Lord. Now turn our attention to what we have in you. May we consider how we have this mind in us. And may we be willing to, like you, lay down our own life for those around, driven by love, giving of grace, committed to the end of faithfulness, and satisfied by your glory. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.